Well, hello there, terrible warriors. Welcome back to another Meet the Makers. I'm Justin Eacock, and I am actually meeting another maker for the second time. You might remember, way back in the before times, I went on a little trip down to Gen Con. And while I was walking the floors at Gen Con, I had in my hand a microphone and a business card. And I would walk up to random people, and I would say, Hi, do you want to talk to me? But this person wasn't exactly random. One of my friends had already gotten this book, actually arrived the weekend I was at Gen Con, and she said, I have to go out of my way right now. Here's where the booth is. You need to find this person and talk to them because this book is blowing my mind. And uh, I, that's where I found Matthew Orr of Wedding Games, one of the creators of Never Going Home. And there's a link in the show notes. Go back, listen to that. It's a good, fun chat. And now we're back again with Matthew Orr, but... We are not alone. Matthew has brought with him his other co-creator of Never Going Home, Brandon Ayton. And together, they are here to talk not just about Never Going Home, but also all the stuff that has happened since we talked back at Gen Con 2019, because I got new books, I got new campaigns, I got new stuff coming out, and it's going to be great. But let's reset things, because I know not everyone listens to the entire back catalog. And you might not know what I'm talking about. So let me introduce you to, once again, Matthew Orr. Welcome back to the Terrible Warriors. Hey, hey, glad to be interviewed again. Again, wonderful. You're, 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 once you get uh, uh, 10 interviews down, uh, I'll run a game for you oh, for free. Man. Yeah, that's what it is, like a little punch, subway card. Punch my card. Uh, what is this, Tuesday? Is it, is it Double Punch Tuesday? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Five-foot-long tabletop games. And uh, Brandon Ayton, <laughs> welcome to Terrible Warriors. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is great. It's a, you mentioned that interview and I remember after Gen Con, I listened to it. I was really excited. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, I, I love convention floor conversations for some reason. That's the kind of interview I love just going in so blind. I don't even know your name. I don't know anything about the game and it's like a bit of a blind date and it's kind of exciting. And, uh, and then hearing about that with, with all the you know, ambient noise and excitement of the convention around you and man, I miss crowds so badly. <laughs> Well, and, and 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 for me, it's the fact that, you know, I've known Matt for years, so I've, and we created this game together, so I know what he's going to say about most things, but the variable is always, what are the interviewers going to ask? So yeah, you, you did a great job and it's a great listen. Oh, well, thank you very much. I, I love finding, for me, uh, it's 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 as much about the game as it is about the creator. I I I'm fascinated with why anyone would want to make tabletop games because there is it seems like such a thankless profession there with 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 very little margins of success and uh, and even the biggest companies are very very small companies uh, with the exception of the biggest ones and uh, and there is such a disparity in that that level of success and, and money really when I get down to it. I've talked about that with some other interviews. And, and so it, it fascinates me that this is uh, compared to so many other hobbies. It is very much a hobby and a profession of passion that these are, we are telling stories and we are telling stories that connect us to each other and to different histories. And, uh, and, and, and that kind of passion just fires me up. And that's what I love when I play my games. And I, and that's what I love when I meet these creators with people like just you. Stop the interview right there you just said it all like you just there, there it is <laughs> yeah right good night everybody well and the other side <laughs> yeah. is um i've never really mentioned it so overtly but terrible warriors has a mission statement it's kind of a little take-home statement where uh 
I want at the end of each episode to feel I could play this. That's it. That's the whole statement. That's that's I can play this. And if you walk away from Terrible Warriors going, I don't think I could play this, then I have failed. And so that's the other side of of the coin that I'm trying to get is is not just the passion of these games, but also my passion and, and hoping that, you know, you can do this. I'm not very good at running these games and I run all of them. And so it's it's fine any we can all we can all enjoy this stuff uh that is i'm not interviewing me i'm interviewing you brandon uh your 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 first time up here uh i'd love to know um the two of you like how i I always like to start with the beginning and and i know we, we got a chance to talk to matthew about this last time how did you get into where we are now where you're you're making tabletop games why why what 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 got you hooked into this um this hobby and, uh, and, and, and then into, uh, making, uh, never going home and, uh, and, and, and being part of wedding games. So, you know, that's a, that's a pretty loaded question. It might be you an know, entire yeah, interview I, on itself. I understand. Yeah. We, we, we kind of have a joke, uh, in our, in our family because Matt's also my brother-in-law, you know, it's like the apple pie recipe starts off with create the universe. Oh yeah. To, to make an apple pie, you must first create the universe. Yeah, that's right. So in order, God, man, every, every kid starts out playing games or every person starts playing games either as a, as a kid or when they get a little older. But, you know, I've, I've found a lot of times that so many of us have in this community have very similar, similar backgrounds. Like, Hey, you know, I was sitting around a, a table in middle school and someone sat down with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the RPG and, we just started talking about it because it had cool art and it was the Ninja Turtles. And that was, you know, that was cool. You know, so that was for me, I actually got started playing games in sixth grade in middle school, exactly with TMNT and then moving on to, to Robotech, etc. And I got really into at that point, the Palladium games, you know, that lasted through through high school and college. When I was in college, I played regularly with a, a group of guys. Matt was actually one of those one of those players. Uh, we were in, you know, that was one of those things in college. You have your on again, off again uh, people. We had some core that was consistent, and we actually had gone. We decided to just go up to Origins, where I met uh, Kevin Simbita from Palladium Books. You know, was one of my like childhood heroes. And, you know, there was just a, we had a, a, it was a great meeting. There was a a situation I was working with WizKids Games and, you know, I had a convention exclusive piece and we had like bartered for this Galactus statue and he gave me like pretty much a, a copy of every single thing that they had. And we just started this, this friendship. We tossed around some ideas and it, which ultimately resulted in me doing a couple internships for Palladium books. Uh, and uh, I had written a number of Rifter articles, which was their at that point, it was their quarterly magazine uh, with one of our, our friends, Taylor White, who is a, a writer and musician. And, when Matt and I, you know, reconnected after I moved back from from New Jersey after graduate school, then you know he and I started working on books. So you know we got a number of of publications uh, through Palladium Books, and then you know it it led into some other freelance work with some indie companies such as Third Eye Games and Nerd Burger Games and Bloat Games, and you know just a, a number of uh, of these opportunities 
started presenting themselves. And the more, you know, I, I got into the indie, the indie world, um, I was actually, you know, Matt would, would say, Hey, you know, I saw this game or, Hey, I, uh, you know, I, but you know, I'm a reader for the 200 word RPG and, you know, he would throw, throw all these ideas and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. But at that point, Matt and I had had already, you know, we'd worked together and we'd done a few things, uh, as I said, for Palladium. And we said, okay, well, there's there's opportunity out there. We we wanted to tell some unique stories. And so we thought about it for a little bit and we were like, okay, we could probably with the 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 contacts that we have, the people that we know and the experience that we have, we could probably put a Kickstarter together and throw this idea out there for this anthropomorphic diesel punk RPG that we have. And the result was wild skies. Yeah, Europa it, Tempest. I, I feel terrible was, because we're here to talk you know, about never going home. And I, and while you were talking, I was like, Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I, I remember, I remember this game. I remember seeing it. And I, and I opened up your drive through RPG yeah. page right now. I was like, wild skies, wild skies, because we played after the bomb on terrible warriors. And before I got into terrible yeah. warriors after the bomb, when we played D and D in high school, after the bomb and that whole series, Roadhogs especially, was our like B game that we would play yeah. when we wanted to take a break from Dungeons and Dragons. And so we had this whole extended after the bomb Roadhogs world that we were part of. I remember playing a porcupine character who could use his quills as as improvised handheld weapons and uh, I could just basically like pull swords out of my back whenever I wanted to. It was so cool. And uh and I remember seeing the cover and the cover for Wild Skies looks like uh, a, a, an After the Bomb or Wild a Roadhogs. Like it, it, it evokes that Palladium era TMNT uh, uh, RPG. And I remember looking and going like, "Oh, this is reminding me exactly of Roadhogs." And Matthew was like, hey, "It's funny you should mention that." <laughs> and uh, yeah, right. yeah, I got to have you back to talk about Wild Skies because that's that's another one that that just went completely off my radar until exactly this moment. <laughs> it's definitely it, it's definitely close to our heart and actually next year's i think the fifth anniversary of wild skies oh, congratulations and you know it's one of those things that we want we always want to go back to you know yeah. it's you know ideas are easy and uh, execution is hard as one, one of our mantras and we have so many ideas for uh that entire setting <laughs> yeah i actually wrote just while we're talking about it like i wrote within the last couple months, somebody was like, I got this idea on our, on our wedding games, discord. Uh, somebody was like, I've got this really hankering to play like a setting and I, I'm going to use penguin characters and they're going to do this, this adventure in like Atlantis, but it's also Antarctica. And I'm like, Oh, great. And so I sat down and I looked at some stuff and I was like, we don't have a penguin in the game yet. But I'm going to put it out there just for you, buddy, so that you can run that game that you want to play. Here they are. The stats for a penguin if in our game if you want to do that yeah that like, is oh. that is some customer service gold star <laughs> treatment there <laughs> five out of five would recommend uh so you, you so wild skies happens the two of you start working on this where did never going home come from because that's what we're here to talk about is is this guy i don't want to go through the so, entire origin because i know matt and i had a chance to do that and i want to go back and you know listen to that interview by all means but i'd love <laughs> to hear like how did how did never going home how did that happen uh, so where did it come from so you know 
you know how it how it goes at Gen Con. I mean, Gen Con when you're at the at, at the exhibit hall, you have people who are going and people are having you know business meetings on the side. People are doing interviews. People are uh, you know going around and showing artistic directors, creative directors their portfolios and things like that. Well, at that point, I was working at the Palladium booth and I had met Charles Ferguson Avery, who had come to show uh, Kevin some stuff, Kevin Sabita, and I had gone through and. Uh, and I looked at his portfolio at the time and some of the stuff was really, really great. He had some, um, sequential art. He had his graphic novel he was working on, which was really cool, really evoked uh, a feel of Jeff Smith of, you know, bone fame. It was just some really cool stuff. And, you know, I exchanged some information with him and after Gen Con, I know, uh, he had sent some information and we just had we just sat down and chatted with him, uh, and around that time he was doing a uh, an Inktober project, which was a lot of the art that resulted in his uh, World War Occult art book, which is where a lot of the original art for Never Going Home came from. So he was going through that that project, and Matt and I had sat down and said, "Okay, well, let's just talk with him about it and see if he's." willing to license this art to us. And so we sat down and had a, a really good productive conversation with, with Charles. And he said, I'd love to have a game with, with this stuff. We put it together and yeah, it just, it, it kind of took off, you know, and Charlie is, he's a gamer at heart. He's not all, he's not just an artist. So he had a lot of ideas. He's like, Oh, it'd be really cool if X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, we, we would chat about some stuff and we knew that we kind of wanted it to be simple where you could just use standard D sixes and a deck of playing cards, pretty much anything that would be in your junk drawer, uh, you know, in your kitchen, you know, that's anyone can find D six. If you raid your monopoly, uh, set, you know, that kind of stuff. So, uh, we wanted it to be accessible. We wanted it to have good quality art and we wanted it to not break the bank. We wanted people to be able to come and pick up a, the core book uh, at a reasonable price and, you know, hopefully they would dig it. And so that was our right. mission when we kind of set, set, set out to do that. And it's been a success. Just to add a little bit more about that. We talked about wild skies and wild skies, is a crunchy game. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a D six or there's a, there's a percentile system. Um, and then you're adding individual percentiles based on your D six rolls and you get dice based on your skills. And like, it was deliberately crunchy and kind of is showing the roots that where we came from. So that was part of that, like drive to having done two wild skies, but we did a core book and then we did a source book for it. And then, we're like, we need, we want to do something different. We, and so it, it didn't, that's where this sort of like drive to do just D six, take out the D tens. We're going to use playing cards instead of, um, you know, not necessarily instead, but like, you know, again, those sort of things you have around, you know, um, just as a different design choice. It's really interesting that you, you know, mentioned that, that. Like, when we ran our after the bomb series on terrible warriors, for me, this was like me bringing back this old nostalgic game to introduce to my friends on the podcast. And we had fun the first time we played it. Then a, a year later we came back and we played road hogs and we had less fun. 
because at that point we had been starting to play all these other new games. Then a year or two after that, we came back and we played Mutants in Orbit and we had a terrible time at it. At that point, we had gotten full into <laughs> Powered by Apocalypse games at that point. And it, I, I was joking that these Palladium games that I had on my shelf were acting like a litmus test where we would check in every year or two to see where we were on our gaming journey as I was getting further and further from that older style of simulated play of tracking all of my numbers and all of my stats and my experience and my loot and my numbers to really desiring more story play at least at that time my my pendulum has swung a little bit more now and i'm finding myself more interested in 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 returning to more game mechanics and it's just i find that part is that's a whole nother psychology interview but it's uh it's interesting as you mentioned that that uh you know, there, there's a time and a place for both of this. And, and it sounded like Absolutely. then Never Coming Home comes around following this, this story philosophy uh, in front of mine. And, and, and just as, uh, so we don't get too far from it, I'm flipping through the book right now and looking at the, at the artwork you're mentioning. And one of the things that's very striking that you'll notice like by the second page is you never see their faces. Everyone's always in a gas mask. And uh, this is a story, it's, it's playing with themes of humanity and lost humanity. And never being able to see their eyes is such a uh, strong, evocative choice about this. And you're, and you're constantly left wondering in so many of these pictures of what what, what facial expression they have because their entire faces are covered and uh, you, you, you can't see, you just see these same gas masks, big glassy goggles, big circular vents on the front and, uh, or filters on the front. And, uh, and, and they're all just, some are, uh, you know, in, in moments of action and some are just sitting around having a day. <laughs> some are yeah. cowering yeah. from a, a creature crawling over the trenches and, uh, and others are, uh, uh, they're just like cleaning their gun and having coffee and having a smoke. <laughs> and that's, that is, that was very deliberate in from, from uh, Charlie's perspective uh, when he was, when he was doing a lot of that, that creation. And one of the things that, that I noticed, uh, and, you know, as we started getting a, a additional art that wasn't in his original art book, the only time you ever really see faces, they're on monsters. Um. You yeah, know, these they're, cute they're, little uh, blobby guys that are like this. Yeah, they only yeah. go up to you your knee. Trench and... gremlins, and you have, <laughs> you know, great. you have. I want, uh, I want, you, I want, I want a dozen. You have all. You, there, there's all kinds, but the only time you really see faces, it's on, it's on, on monsters, and and the entire, from a, a design standpoint, from a system standpoint, the the cards. You know, I mean, you you talked about how it it represents. It, it plays with the the aspects of humanity. We definitely wanted this to feel like a dire game. I mean, the game is not like go home and hug your kids and go to bed. No, no it's you're setting it in World War One, and that's right. <laughs> that, I mean, that it's, that, it's, that is a choice to do. A it's setting deliberately there. dire. Yeah, yeah. And the the cards themselves represent your character's humanity, and so you, they can be used to do different things. You can give up a card in order to get some additional power, whether that's to power a whisper, which is magic, or whether that's to have an additional bit of strength, you know, at a, at a critical moment or, or to uh, add a, you know, to get some insight or memory that you maybe doesn't actually come from you, but comes from beyond the veil in order to achieve a skill or have access to a skill. So, 
you can use those cards in all kinds of different ways throughout the game. But every single time you do it, we encourage people to use them and narrate kind of what you're giving up. So I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to get rid of this four of hearts uh, in order to do this thing. Well, that means I'm going to forget my daughter's second birthday. It just goes away. I don't remember that. Yeah. Or even, I think it was Matthew. You told me it was the smell of warm bread. Uh, oh gosh, I know baked that, bread. that one twisted the knife in me. I was like, Oh no. And you just, that memory that gone, that, that essence, that understanding of it is just, it doesn't exist anymore in your mind. It's Matt it's has a great lost. story about an, an actual live play session, uh, with one of the, with one of the players who'd been really playing up something, some element. Oh of their yeah, character. yeah. Oh, it, it, it's, it is definitely gut wrenching. I mean, I can, I can tell it if you want, or, uh, please, I don't know if please I told do. it is a thing, but this was that, uh, this was that <laughs> the last Gen Con, uh, in 2019 that I was at. And, uh, you know, I was playing the game to demo it, show it off, but there was a guy that he had kind of chosen a more brainiac kind of character. And I think he'd chosen some of the whispers and, and he was, he really punched up his, cause there's, there's only three real attributes. You got brawn, smarts and guts. So he had a really high smarts. He was always trying to like solve puzzles and like, well, can I use my smarts for that? You know, he was really kind of playing into that. But one of the other things that he had done was he had, he, as part of his character, he, he was always quoting Shakespeare and kind of playing into that, like, you know, uh, like all the, the quotes from Henry V and like everything that he was doing was he was portraying a very erudite character. And so sometimes we ask the player to describe what they are giving up when they use their cards. Sometimes it's appropriate when you just want to, when, when it seems appropriate, like you as the game master or the narrator is like, no, 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 I'm going to tell you what you forget. And so for him, he, he played a card at a critical moment toward the end of the session. And uh, I, I can't actually remember if it came off well or bad, but the thing that I told, I think, he, I think, I think he succeeded. He helped his team succeed. But the thing that I told him is like, all right, so you, Mr. Scholar, like the thing that you just forgot is that first Time that you took your father's like leather bound Shakespeare volume off of the shelf and opened it up and first discovered Shakespeare. You no longer remember that. He was like, no, but because he's been playing <laughs> this that up foundation. At the table. Yeah. This pillar yeah, of this character. So I think that was one of the things where in that session, it was like, I had asked other people to, to tell me what they lost. But then in that one instance, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to tell you because I know it's going to hurt you more than you would hurt yourself, you know? Um, and that's, that's that role of the narrator in this game is to really, 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 uh, really desaturate people, uh, in that way. So how has it been when I last talked to you in 2019, the Kickstarter, the physical books were just landing in people's mailboxes almost that exact weekend and uh, and and certainly that had happened with my friend and she had gotten her book that weekend and texted me going you've got to find them now and uh, this book is amazing uh, how has it been uh, since then now that it's out in the wild and the game is being played uh it, it's w- how has that journey been since with with never going home it's definitely exceeded our expectations or at least my expectations. I mean, we knew it was, it was going to be fun because, you know, no one wants to make a game that's not going to be fun. And we wanted it to, to do, to deliver on that, that horror aspect. So when never going home 
was on Kickstarter and we were expecting it to do maybe eight to $10,000 on Kickstarter. We could publish the main book and be like, just done with it. And we it kept having these stretch goals that added more content for it. So by the time the Kickstarter was over, we ended up having, um, the, the main book, the book of monsters or the, it's the tome of corrupted beasts and the book of whispers, which is a book of magic. And then a book of adventures from, and scenarios from all, all kinds of people, all kinds of freelancers in the industry. Uh, and it was, it was amazing. It was so much fun to, to see that, that level of support. And then that Gen Con in 2019, when we had people coming up saying like, Oh, this is the book. This is the game that everyone is talking about. This is about. the one. And, yeah. Th- like exactly and, like and my story. This is the one we didn't bring enough for everyone to be talking about this. You know, it was, it was that, that moment we left Gen Con. We had sold everything, including our demo copy. Like it's, it was, it was crazy. But since then we've had people playing all over the, all over the place. We're joining our discord, uh, reaching out to us on Facebook. It's been uh, translated into Spanish and Polish. And uh, we just got, uh, just this week, we got a request for Portuguese this week. Brazilian Portuguese uh, to to bring it into Brazil. So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interest and it's, oh, actually in Korean. Uh, We, we just, there's a South Korean company that we've, we've partnered with as well. So, it's out there and people are, are excited about it. And if, obviously we did the, the campaign dossier Kickstarter and it was because a lot of the people at the, at Gen Con in 2019 asked, Hey, can I run these as a, as a campaign? And we said, well, I mean, yeah, you can string them together. There's some that take place in this part of Europe. There's some that take place over here. You can string them together however you'd like, but people wanted more, uh, connected, deliberately connected campaigns. And so from that takeaway, uh, Matt had uh, uh, some really good ideas. We talked all the way back and uh, from Gen Con and beyond. And Matt, I can let you talk a little bit about the the idea and concepts behind those uh, campaign dossiers, if you'd like. Yeah, I mean, I would, would like to talk about the campaign dossiers. Uh, the I mean, I don't really, I don't want to exactly get ahead of myself exactly because, uh, but, but I think another story that, that really is important to me to share about, like, it's not like everyone's playing never, never going home. You know, it, it hasn't like blown up in that way that like literally every game table has a copy. But I think the thing that surprises me about it is that there are people who really really love it and especially with the the past what has it been i you know 13 months or so um there was a guy that we know that he was running it he's a veteran and he got together with some other veterans and they're all in lockdown and he was playing like six games a week with like these different rotating groups of people and he was like he had like 50 people that were, he was playing with on a weekly basis because they didn't have anything else to do other than just really get into it. And like he would, they were like statting out their own weapons to be more accurate to their own experience. Cause they're all like vintage gun collectors and they know these weapons better than we do. And you know, like never going home has pretty abstract rules for vehicles and, and weapons and stuff like that. That's not the focus of the game. 
but but I'm like I was just constantly blown away by the stories from this guy's table where he's like, oh yeah, I got like my Thursday group and my like my like Wednesday at noon group and my Saturday group and like that was how that was what that group of people did for like you know three months of the first start of lockdown is they just played Never Going Home a lot and and they played all the adventures they played all of them and it's just like amazing I, I clearly it, it, it is able to hit a chord with yeah. some people uh, and in, I didn't want to say like way. you know it, it is an indie game and indie games have their 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 challenges of, of, of getting out there and being you know being exposed to new players and finding new tables and it's always a, a, a tough sell to get a group that is used to playing one game a lot to then, hey, what about this other one I just picked up at this convention? Like, well, I don't want to learn all these new rules. I don't want to learn a new oh. setting. And and it oh, is it's, yeah. it's it's such an it's such an upsell to to get in. Uh, and 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 yet when it can happen and that moment happens, it can be it can be so rewarding. What do you think? Like you're telling me that this this game is being translated all these languages. You got this this group that's really latched onto it. It's it's clearly successful enough to warrant the work you've done into these campaign dossiers. And I'm realizing 40 minutes in, we haven't really described what Never Going Home is. And and I feel a little bad, but you should have listened to my interview with Matthew Orr back in 2019 that I told you to because we covered it all that and I didn't have time to go through with it. But it's a World War One with like occult, uh, like eldritch kind of horrors and this this idea that the, 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 the brutality of World War One, the, the loss of World War One, it opened up these like it punched holes through the veil and it brought things back from the other side. And so the game deals with like really that kind of like visceral, I don't want to say psychedelic horror, but like psychological horror as well of, you know, these, these other right. things that are coming through and, uh, and then playing these characters now that are just trying to survive to the next moment, maybe not even to the end of the war. That, that is unlikely. It's just to tomorrow. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and how much of your own humanity, as you mentioned, are you willing or able to sacrifice in order to survive to that next moment? Uh, and, uh, and it, it sounds like wh- for, what is it that, it, it felt like right around that time when I met you in 2019 that it was there was another game uh, here in Toronto that was being made that was ultra a setting in World War One. There's uh, you know EA did Battlefield One. Uh, Wonder Woman was set in World War One. What <laughs> and it's part of it was the hundred year anniversary certainly was 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 coming in and around and 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 that had brought it all back up again. But for this, you're telling me as it's being translated into. Brazilian Portuguese and into Korean and uh, and into Spanish and what is it about uh, never going home that you think and you may not have an answer to this that has hooked the people that it has hooked that 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 draws them into to this world into this story as where you know, someone is listening right now who doesn't know what we're talking about they don't know what this game is so what what is it that they should look forward to in playing this game what that that is the reason why so many others have become so, I don't know, loyal to this game, have, 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 have stood by it now to, to see it succeed as, as much as it has? So I, I think first and foremost, you cannot dispute and deny the impact that Charles Ferguson Avery's art has on this game. Um, that I mean, cover jumps out at yeah. you. It's I mean, boom. We, we had people just at Gen Con who would just 
look at our banner and just stop and be like, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, what is this? like? Yeah, even if I'm never yeah, going to play like the I, game, it's going on my bookshelf and I'm going to show it to everyone. Right. It's like, I need this just so I can show show people the art. Whether And that's fine. That's a, a I'll, it, it, it's great. But I also think the one of the reasons why we set it in World War One, we like to make games that fill that that fill niches that aren't that aren't really covered in in the industry a lot, or that may that may scratch an itch that people didn't even know they wanted. And Never Going Home, when we when we created, I know I think the other game you were talking about was what Ross Rifles. Yeah, it was about the same time we were creating that or creating creating our game, and Ross Rifles uh, was was coming out. And Ross Rifles but is I a completely different game. It's it's, it's a completely his, it, different it, it, game. It's an historical period piece about, you know, when we played it uh, on the show, we, 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 we had Dundas West Games join us. We actually looked up our history, our family histories on the Canada uh, registry on the government. And mm-hmm. we went through the archive. We found people with our surnames who lived in our hometowns who served in World War One, And those were the characters. Who play. Like It is almost like a biopic of an RPG where you can yes. be playing a story that Pretty is amazing. trying to capture very real stories that happened to real people who were, for the most part, just kids who were... You know, you can play an entire game of Ross Rifles and there's no, you're just in the trenches trying to get coffee. And that might be your entire quest for your whole session that night yeah. is trying to find a can of coffee. Oh, and and it plays a little bit like uh, 1918, actually. <laughs> is, is, I remember watching well, 1918 going like, oh my God, this is just like that game. Never Going Home isn't, you're not attempting to be that kind of story. You're, no, you're doing something it, else. It, it's much more supernatural right off the get-go. And you can tell that right from the cover. We do have we do have those those elements that we don't necessarily shy away from that. But you know, hey, I'm gonna escort this child from the you know, from this bombed out orphanage or whatever and try to get them to safety so they can you know, they they can meet up with the, you know, their the rest of their group at at the church or whatever. Uh, you yeah, know, there, there the, is that. But the intention also, seems there are zombies here. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like it's it's a uh, reading it. There's obviously a love for the period and the history and 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 capturing as well as you can the accuracy of that history. Mm-hmm. But it's also not trying to be historically accurate either. Correct. Right. Like like <laughs> like uh, was it uh, the Battle of Yeet goes a little differently in Never Going Home. <laughs> <laughs> than it that it did in reality. Uh, yeah, I am looking at that right. I'm just looking to the right page. And it's the veil know, it, torn in July of 1916. The Battle of the Somme. That's what it was. Battle of the Somme. Yeah, it goes a little bit start. differently in Never Going Home than it did in in, in reality. In reality, it was still tor- terrible. But in this one, it's uh, the others long yeah, enough I, to drown their impressions. At first, the voices were not whispers, but seemed like so, screaming in the minds of those able to hear. So Sarah. Uh, Sarah or Aiton, who's you'll notice or being uh, Matt's sister and Aiton being my wife, yeah. Sarah or Aiton, yeah. uh, is she wrote all of the, all of the letters and all of the, the journal entries as you follow this one character through his descent into madness in that core book. And she, you know, she is a, a, she, a, a world war one, I, I don't want to say aficionado, but like it, it is something that is very close to her heart, that period of history. And she's read so much about it. And she's as a, as an author, 
wanted the opportunity to do that. And it's some of the most stirring uh, writing in any book that we've ever done. Yeah, next to the artwork, it's the most evocative thing in the book are those journal entries. And I remember that weekend at Gen Con, I didn't have a whole lot of time to read the entire book. I'm exhausted. I get back to my Airbnb and I remember just flipping through the journal pages and just reading it out loud to my my flatmates that were with me that weekend. And they were all on the edge of their seats going like, what is this game that you've got? This is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's I, phenomenal stuff. She did a great job. And, and I don't know if we ever really answered the question about like, what is the thing that we think connects it to other people? But I think it's all of these things. Like the art is amazing because it comes from the, the, the feral mind of Charles Ferguson Avery. And uh, I, I, that's not an insult because that's the name of his studio is feral indie studio. So, um, you know, it is that, and it is the like connection to the, you know, the, the hundred year anniversary that, you know, is now a couple of years past, but uh, the hundred year anniversary, the, the end of it um, was when we were funding the first, we, we were running the funding during the hundred year anniversary um, of the end of the war. And um, it is, it, it is the art. It is the stories that are possible. It is the supernatural element. It is the, Oh, I haven't seen that before kind of mashup of, you know, the, supernatural with world war one instead of world war two and you know um i think it's, it's sort of like it's all of that that puts together into this greater than the sum of its parts kind of thing where you get um where you get this that it has this appeal you know um to as you were saying as we were saying earlier like uh you know people in multiple continents are interested in yeah, and it's that, interesting, um, the, the World War One setting, I, I didn't mention this to you last time, but the, the elementary school I went to, Memorial School in Hamilton, was um, is uh, built in memorial to the First World War. And uh, inside the, the school is this open um, auditorium, and on all of the pillars were every... Uh, person who died in the war in Hamilton, uh, just uh, adorning every pillar of the auditorium. And then across the top of the stage is just the great war, the war to end all wars. Mm -hmm. And there's this, I think, especially World War II gets romanticized. It was this good versus evil out there action movie mentality to it. And and to this day, Mm -hmm. it's still romanticized. Uh, And World War One even now having happened more than a hundred years ago, I think still lives in everyone's minds with that, you know, lest we forget of it just being completely senseless of a waste of life. By the end of the war, things just went back to the old borders and it was just um, powerful monarchies and powerful countries just throwing people into a grinder that accomplished nothing, just death and 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 and, mm-hmm. and there was this, this hubris of the war to end all wars, and it 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 really didn't yeah. though, and and right. and there's that bit in in Never Going Home of that that you mentioned dire and 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 a bit, and and the helplessness of being on the ground in the war, and you can't leave it. There's no escaping it. It's a world right. war. It's total war, but there's also no end goal there's no victory condition it last man standing is is it and 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 it's pointless and everyone on both sides knows that and you can't 
Mm. You can't get away from it. And that's, that's such an intriguing place to put your story then to now. And now let's tell a story in that, in this very thankfully alien world now looking back that it is hard to imagine that ever happening. Well, I think it, I think, you know, when we were playtesting, we had somebody that was like, well, what if you don't want to follow your orders and you want to take your unit and you want to leave the battlefield and go set up a, you know, a brothel on the edge of town or whatever. I'm like, great. Then you go, your characters go do that. Now roll up new characters because the game we're playing is you're stuck in the war. You just, you just left the scope of the game. Yeah. Yeah. You left the scope of the game if you do that. And, and hearing you talk about like how bleak it is. And I, I think, like I'm, remind, <laughs> I'm reminded know, of like... True the, story. Uh, uh, well, this is a World War II vet, but his name was Red, and he was a tank driver, and he, he served in Italy, and he and his brother met up out there, and they stole a motorcycle, and they went off for a weekend around the Italian coast, and they went MIA, and they got arrested, and, and, he, got, and he spent time in, 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 in lockup, and then he was put back out on the front lines again. And like, you could try and leave and open up a brothel in France, and, and you know what you're going to happen? You're going to get shot. The minute anyone sees you, you're a deserter, regardless which side yeah. you're on. You're just you're just going to get strung up, and you'd be a matter of. I would roll three dice, no. and by the third die, you you're not alive anymore. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's yeah, there's <laughs> but that's there of, is a buy-in. It's like same deal well, with like if you're playing masks and you quit the super team. Okay, well, you, yeah. your character's now left the game. Make a new character. Like that's there. There is a buy-in that we're going to play this game, and if you don't want to, that's fine. We'll play a different game. But if your character leaves the spotlight, they have left the show, and we're going to make a new character for the show. Yeah, and I think what I, what I'm trying to get to with this is kind of you know analyzing our own work on this, and like why do we want to set a story in such a specific place? And I think it is a quote from like, the, I know that this quote has been said several times, but the word that I know it from best is from like, I think it's the last episode of the first season of Angel, which is the Buffy the Vampire spinoff. And it's like, they fight a big monster and like, maybe God doesn't exist and they're standing there. And, you know, it's like, if this is, if, if the thing, the conclusion that the friends come to is like, if this is all we have, then like what we do really matters. Like what we do now really matters if, if there's no grand beyond. And I think even though it's a bleak kind of situation and maybe you're all gonna, well, I mean, the game is called never going home. Like there, there is no end for the, there's a nihilism there's no end for kind you. of baked into there, the setting. Yeah, there, there is, but like, if that's the given, if that's the buy-in, as you said, then like, what matters is what you do when you're given that situation. Do you descend into depravity and you become one of the monsters and you give up your humanity and start killing you know, your former comrades? Or do you stand and say like, no, that is not what I want to do. I'm going to hold on to what I have. I'm going to protect the people I have, I'm stationed with. I'm going to share what little I have with the, the, the refugees from this village that we just met, like whatever it is like it kind of pushes all of that aside and you don't have to worry about whether or not, you know, the throne of the empire is going to stand. That's beyond the scope of what you have. All you have is like this small moment to interact with the, the situation right in front of you. And so I think that's the appeal of the, to me of the setting is, is 
pushing away all of the political boundaries, all of the grand scope of the war. There's no generals in this game. It's you and some other soldiers, and what are you going to do right now? How are you going to interact with each other? Because everything is awful, but it doesn't have to. You don't have to make it worse. Mm. So, if we get these campaign dossiers, uh, what should we expect uh, as as our play group? What what are we what are we getting into uh, if we pick up this uh, these these um these extra materials here for the game? Well, the uh, first and foremost, the uh, the art is all new. Uh, it's stuff that has that's not in any of the other uh, any of the other books. Uh, Charlie did, um, you know, he took the the setting information that that we had provided and the art guidance that that Matt had had given and uh, came up with some uh, some amazing evocative pieces, uh, including you know three brand new full color covers which are just you know just stunning. There's, uh, they take place in, in three settings, uh, in different, different years throughout the conflict. So we have the tears in the sea, which is, uh, you know, ship combat in the naval combat in the North sea. Then we have the bones in the bones in the dust, which is, uh, the battle of Gallipoli. Uh, and then we have, um, blood on the snow, which is, takes place, during the the Russian Revolution, and uh, right before, right before, the right Russian before, Revolution. I'm sorry, right before. <laughs> but the 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 stage is set, um, and so we definitely wanted to touch on different areas that you know we're not we're not just sitting here in in the trenches again you know not just doing the western front exactly 2.0 we, yeah we we're, definitely we're, we're exploring to other more. parts of the great war that i mean it touched all parts of the world it wasn't just in france and it was it was everywhere and uh there was that that was something that actually playing the ea game i was like wow I, and I don't know. There was something about the scope of it I, that had been lost on me uh, of of how far, how many different uh, battlegrounds there had been, and uh, and 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 the disparity as well between the technology of the different countries. That you had some countries that were basically walking in with medieval technology, plate mail. Oh yeah, and and uh, you know ball and musket, and, and then you had others that, and lances and horses and cavalry, and others that that you know. I didn't realize Germany only had three tanks through the entire First World War, and they were all stolen from the British. <laughs> and uh, the, 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 the industry wasn't there yet. And by the end of the war, we were literally flying out of it. Um, and uh, it was, uh, uh, I think that that scale and that scope and all of those stories have have been lost to the narrative of the trenches, of mm-hmm. of the Western Front, of, of that... Um, you know, soccer during Christmas Eve story, right? Like right. That, 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 that was the first year. They were only six months in. They didn't know how much better know, it was going to oh, get. Right. But, but like the sob and Vimy Ridge and, 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 uh, and, and those, and those stories. But, um, but I like setting it in, like in the, in the moments before the Russian revolution, boy, I don't think I've heard of a campaign that has set itself at that particular point in time. <laughs> That's really fascinating. The thing that by calling them the campaign dossiers, and Brandon mentioned this earlier, that like people ask, like, can you play this as a campaign? 
and we had originally set up all of the adventures that are in the, the um, Once More Into the Breach book. They're all disconnected, and they take place all over the place. And they like, really lend themselves to wonderful the book, one-shots. Yeah, yeah, right. and that's kind of how we thought of it, and like you could play, you could put them in order and in the, the Once More Into the Breach book. They are in chronological order, roughly, of the war, so, like, in theory, you could have been at, at in the aftermath of the Battle of Tudorberg, uh, the Tudorberg Forest, in, in 1914, and you could carry it all the way through until you're fighting, um, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, and I get it. You're like, you're, you're, you're both rinky-dink indie game developers, and you're assuming that uh, we're going to get this game, we're going to play this game, we're going to enjoy this game. But we've also got this other bigger game that we're going to keep playing, and that this is this is our little indie game that we're going to play. And then you end up having people buy this game going, no, this is it. This is the game we're playing, and we want to play more of it. We're not playing. This isn't the B game. This is the A game now. Well, and that's, and that's exactly who the dossiers is for. So, like, each of the three books has, a, has six interconnected adventures. So the Gallipoli campaign starts before the before the invasions with the reconnaissance mission. And then you're there at the invasion and then you're, you're dealing with some of the aftermath and you find out like why the battle is going so poorly for the British. Um, well, I mean, if you, you, you have the opportunity to discover why the battle is going so poorly for the British, you know, that, and if you start with your characters, with your party and you play through all of those missions, you'll get to see what is effectively like the backstory of why Gallipoli failed as a British operation because it was you, you guys were on the, you guys were responsible for what happened in the background of where everyone else is just fighting at Anzac beach. You know, um, you guys are the special forces who get a little bit of supernatural powers and you got to go check out some stuff that's going on over here and then over there. And, you know, um, and, and so it like, giving that his, getting that history to be right or close to right and um, then linking the adventures together so that you get a rising action, you get a climax, you get some falling action like a like a, a proper story. That's what really the dossier is trying to deliver um, in each of those three scenarios. The it does sound the, like that. It's, in, it's intended, like you get the game, the core book, and if you like it, there's additional books that, that expand on a lot of the themes and the rules and, and, and open up the door to, 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 to more information. And then if you find now your game group is hooked and we, gotta, we, want, we really want to dive in and, and um, commit ourselves to, to, to playing more, uh, these, these dossiers are really there to help assist uh, the poor sap who's now in charge of running these games <laughs> to to help guide them through a much more long form format yeah, that's a, uh, that uh, that you might not have intended when you started, but then you're like, oh, this is it. We're never we're never going back <laughs> now. Alone, never going home. And, and I think, as, as Matt said, you know, we we definitely had people you know asking about it, and this wasn't the initial intent. You know, we wanted people to, to, you know, just play here or there, you know, play, you know, one or two missions or just pick them. Um, and generally probably not even the same characters like, okay, now I'm going to create this other character who's on this other, the other side of this conflict or whatever. Um, but the, there's always, there was always that interest. And so we, we heard it multiple times over the release weekend at Gen Con, uh, to the point where we couldn't really ignore it. And I think one of the things that 
we definitely wanted to highlight uh, when doing this was uh, focusing on on some writers who who both were worked very well with us uh, and a couple that we just said all right we we want you to kind of be the overall architect of this story so Tristan Zimmerman is one who uh, he did. Tears in the Sea. He was the 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 lead writer on on Tears in the Sea, and he's a former uh, a former Navy man. He's a former sailor, and so we said, "Hey, do you want to write this write this book or the uh, you know kind of guide the storytelling of this this book about naval combat in the North Sea during the Great War?" And he's like, "Absolutely, I do." He was totally on board, and the stuff that he delivered was absolutely phenomenal taking the the core system and saying, okay, well, if we're going to do naval combat, this is what we're going to do. And this is kind of how it would, would operate. Uh, and, you know, still keeping it in with some of the ambiguity of the, the system, the deliberate ambiguity of the system, but making it feel like naval combat. I mean, it was just, it was just stunning. We are looking at, uh, as you know, we've been doing Session Zero this year instead of our actual plays. We're making characters and exploring these worlds. Uh, I've been looking at this game, and I, right before we started talking, we were like, well, I don't know if this will work for a Session Zero uh, format. And, and I will uh, maybe try it anyways, uh, getting together uh, my little tabletop book club to go through our initial setup of the game without actually playing the game. We get all the way up to the point of now we're ready to play, and then we stop. And we move on. Uh, So what is it like uh, for people uh, getting Never Going Home for the first time, setting it up, introducing it to players for the first time? uh, How... um, uh, what, how difficult is it? How you, you mentioned earlier with Wild Skies versus Never Going Home, this is not a crunchy game the way Wild Skies was, as you put it, a crunchy game. What what are we expecting when we uh, crack open Never Going Home to prepare our characters and our setting and and get ready to play our first session? So the uh, like like we said earlier, it only uses. Uh, Six-sided die, only up to five six-sided die. So if you have, can find five of them, throw them on your table, that's great. And a standard deck of playing cards. Uh, we actually have – we included a, a reference card in our uh, deck that we have on Drive Through RPG or the ones that we – the backers get and things like that. And it's you know standard playing card, and I when I demo it, I show both sides of the card to someone. I said, if you can learn this, you already know the game, which is – generally true i think the, the rules in the core book are like the first 12 to 14 pages like the, the mechanics of the game are not a, is, right. that's not the hurdle to right. the game by any and means is world building and setup and, it's, and setting and scenarios and it's there's a lot we, we we drive home the point that this is a collective storytelling experience the narrator is also a player you are all in this together to tell a story together. And so the players are going to have a lot of agency in building the details of the world you're playing in. Right. I mean, every mission that you go on, we have, we have an opportunity for people to contribute cards to a, a, a general pool, which are then shuffled up and divvied back out to players. And each card represents something and they have to narrate for about a minute at, or however long they collectively decide about 
what your character is thinking about. And we pose questions in every mission, in every scenario. It's like, yeah, this is... That's really cool. Yeah. It's either a question or a narrative. So like, you know, either this mission, you're going to have an internal monologue. So, you know, us as players get to hear your character's internal monologue. Other missions are, are, other missions are like, okay, so you're going to describe the first part of the mission. Like, what is the thing that you saw as we got over here? So they're all, and they're like leading questions. Like they're, they're like leading questions. Like, um, I'm thinking other games where something is, uh, everything goes up to until this moment, this, this, this critical moment happened in the narration. What was that again? And then they, they fill in the detail of, of what was the first thing that broke. Yeah. It's similar to that. So it's, it's like, you're going to start the mission having already kind of, taking a turn around the table to kind of set up the scene, each person. Um, yeah. So you're not, you're not, you're not dealing with the minutiae. You're getting to the juicy bit of the story. Yeah. It's your Indiana Jones travel music. You know, when you see the overhead map <laughs> and you're following the red line, this is what your character's thinking about or doing, you know, rather than like, okay, we're going to spend, you know, the next 12 weeks in game time marching across the swamp. Like, no, it's not dealing with that. I mean, I, I'm thinking about some of your episodes that I've listened to that where you've done the session zero, and I don't know if this is this is. I, I mean, it's, those are your episodes. But decide how you're. I'm just do stunned them. that you've listened to the podcast. I think you're the first guest that ever has, but, so I, I'm really well, uh, I'm speechless. I, I, I know for certain I listened to the Klingon episode that where you did the Klingon book, and, <laughs> and I love uh, the, the the work that you did into making that those disparate characters into a crew. And so I think because Never Going Home isn't like you talked about more or uh, earlier in the interview, like your characters might die. So like, I think this isn't really built into the game, but especially for a session zero kind of a setting, like you might want to build like your unit and like, you know, <laughs> what is the. So you're saying with Never Going Home, don't well, get attached I, <laughs> too much to these characters. Like you want to love them, but sometimes well, you got to let your darlings yeah, die. And <laughs> I have, I've played a character who's been killed in Never Going Home. And I was like, I'm going to play this character to the hilt. And this is definitely what they were going to will do. This is, I know as a player, this is super dangerous, but I know this is what my character would do. And that character was killed. And I was like, I'm sad because I really like that character. But you know, that character did what that character did. <laughs> But yeah. then as a GM, uh, I'm just too nice. I, I rarely actually killed my players because I just... I always I, pull I my punches when I'm running games. I always feel like I don't um, want to do that. To, yeah, I end up becoming a bigger fan of the player characters than I think the players are. They're like, no, 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 we're doing this. We are going off the cliff. And I'm like, okay, oh, but the brake lines stop and you hit a I did speed an actual bump. Play. And the, no, it's... I did an actual play a couple months ago, uh, and which you could you know, find on YouTube. I think it was plus one EXP was the was them, but it was it was a lot of fun. The but they were all they they were you know using tactics and 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 they, they had an officer uh, who was you know giving orders and scouting ahead. They had a, a they had a ranger that was that was doing stuff. So they were they were great. And the the adventure that I was running, I. Uh, I had them go up against something which was p- particularly deadly, but they, you know, one of them had a, uh, had an ace and in 
never going home. You know, your high card is initiative. And so they went through and they got, they, they took out the, this, what was supposed to be a rather large conflict and they just knocked it out in, uh, in record time. I was like, Oh, okay. So I, I wasn't going to pull my punches, but they were the players, uh, definitely outsmarted me at that point. Where can we find out more about Never Going Home and where can we stay up to date with what Wet Ink Games is doing and what the two well, of you are doing? Uh, We've got a few places. And they're all going to be in the show notes. And I know you don't read them, but they're <laughs> in there. Please check them. Check out the uh, the, the the actual episode post at TerribleWarriors.com. I, I, I put headers now. There's big paragraphs. There's links to everywhere. There's so much more in-depth information. And and the, those the, the numbers on that, page do not match the numbers on the podcast so i know that like 90 <laughs> so, percent of you are not reading this stuff but the but they're in there click on them but if, for those majority who are never going to listen or read the show notes and they're only going to listen to the sound of your voice where do we go to find out more about never going home and stay in touch with wedding well, first and, and foremost what the two i think of you are doing? uh as of right now uh facebook and twitter are uh in Instagram, we have a presence on, on all of those platforms, wet ink games. And we, we regularly post, uh, art as it comes in. We have, uh, video content. If we're ever interviewed like this, or if we ever have, uh, you know, any actual plays, it's all there. We actually have a, a website that is in development. It's going to be wetinkgames.com, uh, which is, should be, uh, well, it should have been up. Uh, a couple weeks ago, but, uh, you know, maybe it's up by the time when this has been out. It, it may actually be up Who by knows? the time this is out. Um, the time traveling, man. <laughs> <laughs> we live in the future, but it, you know, it'll be wetinkgames.com. And, you know, we're always, we're always, um, you, you know, sharing things about, uh, from other creators in the indie community, you know, talking about future projects or other projects that we have, uh, that we've, we, we've, uh, run like Zhangshu Blood in the Banquet Hall, uh, which is uh, at the factory right now, or the upcoming uh, Into the Weird and Wild reprint that Charles Ferguson Avery, uh, the, the feral his feral indie studio and Wet Ink Games are collaborating on to bring into distribution. I mean that launches on geez on May fourth. Um, May fourth, so, so it's probably yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's there's we're always we're always out there promoting things uh even if it's stuff that that we're not we're not necessarily involved with that we just think are cool so cool 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 the only one i would mention is we do have a uh, the discord we have a discord Discord. also where you get um it you know depends on who's watching the desk uh you know with all those different social medias like sometimes questions get answered on our Kickstarter page, sometimes they get answered on Discord, like, um, you know, who responds fastest and who's watching the, which desk, um, you know, but certainly we've got a, a growing community there on Discord and people asking questions and just celebrating the games that we have, um, so... Yeah, and hey, since then I know Wedding, you were involved in. Uh, you mentioned it, Shangxi Blood in the Banquet Hall, and uh, I got to talk to Banana Chan before this game was uh, materializing, and uh, it was only just like briefly teased about, and it was just so cool to see that game uh, meet all the success it did to its Kickstarter and coming out. I can't wait to get a hand on it myself, and well, we- uh, it was just it was just fun to see that connected to to uh, to to Wet Ink and and to what you're doing 
as not just game creators, but also as publishers. It was just really cool. Yeah. And thank you. Yeah. It's yeah. Again, thank you. It's that, that, that collaboration with uh, Banana Chan mm-hmm. and Sen Fung Lim uh, has been phenomenal. Um, they, Game in a Curry uh, is is her company, uh, and they or who we partnered with. Um, we've learned a lot from that experience because we've never uh, manufactured in China before. Uh, so it's it's one of those things that we're we're definitely learning from. Um, but it's such a great product. We actually met them and and discussed the opportunity at Gen Con 2019. And decided that we were gonna to partner up and, and do that. I am really looking forward to Gen Con twenty twenty two. Oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> I say, I, I wanna, we're all gonna get it. So much has happened since then, and it's gonna be it's gonna be such a fun reunion to all be back together, rolling dice at the same tables. Yeah, and Indeed. hopefully, Wet Ink will have uh, we'll have some more cool stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can talk and about. by all means when when you've got more to share just send me another email i'll say yes uh and uh <laughs> you know it's uh never going home is is one of those uh games that just remains on the radar and uh we will we're gonna do our session zero we're gonna we're gonna make our unit and and have a look at this uh i'm looking forward to sharing this game with people that are not in my own head <laughs> and oh yeah uh, and 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 getting to get their impressions of it as well and, well it- uh, and one thing that and I know we're, we're running up against time, but uh, yeah, we didn't even talk about any potential potential future plans for never going home, which uh, are going to be pretty exciting in 2022. Oh, Fingers crossed. Any any exclusive. I mean, I'm, 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 I, I keep talking about rinky dink. I am the rinkiest of the dinkiest. Uh, <laughs> what a. Uh, so the, the never going home story is not over is what you're saying. You, you have plans within plans within plans. Uh, indeed. Yep. Fingers crossed. Right. Excellent. Well, we'll, we'll stay tuned to your social medias. That would be uh, the best place. Keep a pulse (laughs) on it. And, uh, and when you want to come back and share that kind of stuff with me, by all means, I am happy to, uh, create content for another week with you. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for, for sharing um, uh, this. Uh, where can we follow you, uh, Brandon? Where can we follow you, Matthew? Are you invisible entities where we should just follow through wedding games? Or do you have a place yeah. where we can be like, there he is. Click follow. I like to take walks in the woods and I sometimes put pictures of those walks on Instagram under my name, uh, Matthew R. Or with dots in between. Uh, if you really, really want to see some nature in roundabout Kentucky, you might, that, that's it. But yeah, mostly my presence is through wedding games. And I do have a, a limited uh, Twitter presence, which is growing, uh, and a, a sporadic, or a, a Facebook page, uh, which is uh, sporadic memes and uh, angry rants. So, uh, <laughs> if that's what you want to see from me, great. But, uh, most of the time, if you're looking for, uh, we'll know, all just lurk each other's accounts. And that's never right. posting. Wedding just... games is probably the best. <laughs> exactly. 
What wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Brendan. Thank you so much, Matthew, for spending time with me and for updating me on on what's happened with Never Going Home. And congratulations again on 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 uh, just I guess a, a successful year of, of of this game since we last chatted. And uh, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens next, not just with Never Going Home, but also with with Wet Ink as well. And maybe we'll have you back to revisit those Wild Skies games oh. and. <laughs> You can yeah. give me the tutorial on how to navigate the, uh, the 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 rules. There, we can we can make our anthropomorphic diesel punk characters. Absolutely, I hey, can Justin, bring back my porcupine, but but in your setting instead. One more one more thing. I, uh, Are, we, can you I not play a porcupine in Wild Sky? I was Matthew? trying to remember if we have porcupine. I don't. I will I homebrew we, the crap out of this. This is the same that happened to Pugmire, absolutely. where I could not play homebrew. with ferrets in Pugmire. You, the closest you can get are, are are badgers, and I'm like, are you kidding? There there are three domesticated animals: cats, dogs, and ferrets, and you need them. So I am I'm going to yeah. Anyway, we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna fix this, Matthew. Or this we're gonna fix this. I, I'm sorry, Justin. To, to <laughs> can I play a ferret in Wild Skies? Yes. Yeah. Oh, you could definitely oh. do ferret. Okay, good. I think I it, think it's just thing... because I'm playing a weasel and and I have no, to then no. make it like just like a weasel but but dumber. Well <laughs> You'll have we'll have to save it for the the wild guys It's exactly we'll like a weasel except a ferret class is not allowed to jump. They just believe that they can. They think they have a stat of like 20 to do all jumping, but it's actually a zero. And so whenever they leap to they jump flop. over the easiest, easiest gap between two like uh, catwalks, they will always belly flop right down the middle. And I plump. actually absolutely love that. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to put good. that in my stuff. <laughs> but, but Justin, one of the things that I, I, I wanted to say is that, yeah, we'll definitely save that for a Wild Skies episode and we'll, we'll chat about that and some uh, thoughts about the future for that, that line. But also, if people are still looking for like where they can buy stuff, if they can't necessarily get it th- through us, I mean, they should be able to reach out to us and we, on any of our social media and we'll look them up. But also drive through RPG and any press revolution, they can find our stuff. Excellent. Links in the show notes. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you so much for hanging out with me and for sharing more about this game. And thank you, my dear listener, for hanging out with us and hearing us just yammer at each other incessantly about the games that we enjoy. And hey, uh, all of that and more is available on those notes. If you want to follow up on what we're doing here on Terrible Warriors, I know this year is weird and we're trying different things every week. Follow us on uh, t- uh, Dice Warriors on Twitter where uh, we will keep you up to date on what we are doing. We are keeping our patreon going as best as we can you can follow us at patreon.com slash terrible warriors there we have a discord channel too come chill out with us i think right now we're all yelling about the uh, death of podcasting in canada (laughs) getting a little political right now don't worry most of the time we're just talking about the marvel cinematic universe so that'll be fine uh come hang out with us on discord and, 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 and say hi and uh we'd love to have you and of course every month uh i run private games for our patreon supporters through the terribly important patron club the tip club and uh, right now we're playing through uh, free league games uh, forbidden lands and we're we're playing through the raven's purge and you can jump in at any moment and you can join our group uh and and, and we're good to go so all that information and more is available through our website at terriblewarriors.com and ah. Uh, I don't know what we're doing next week. Maybe we're doing a Never Going Home Session Zero. We'll find out. But until that time, we're all together again, rolling dice at our tables and sharing our stories and our passions with each other. Be good to each other. Bye.